Hello everyone and welcome back to Haunted Picture Palace. I am Ben, one of your hosts. This is Amelia, the other one of your hosts. Hello. And today we are looking at the fly. The That one over there, oh, that, one over there. that dead one. <laughs> That's the one there, officer. Today we're looking at David Cronenberg's 1986 film, The Fly. I think I said 1981 in the outro last week. Yes, that and was false and a lie. That is not true. That was, of course, Videodrome is the yes. Cronenberg 1981 film, and I got it wrong. So apologies for that. We should probably start with the content warning. Oh, yeah. Because it is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> this film, if you haven't seen it, please go forth, watch it. We watched it on the children's favourite Disney+. Plus. So it's extremely available to you and almost inappropriately so. I don't think we have any child listeners, but if we do, Not anymore. don't watch this one. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. But from content warning standpoint, we're looking at extreme gore, body horror, yeah. abortion, some pretty horrendous sort of just physical assault and dissolving your enemies in acid like that you vomit. your own stomach acid, mm. yeah. Gross hairs. Extreme body horror, yeah. I think, covers yeah. almost everything. If you're frightened of baboons, yeah, it's not the film for you. Nope, although you do get to watch one turn inside out horribly graphically. So maybe that's oh. something. It is a rough film. I did feel sick afterwards. And I, did, I don't I, normally. The effects work is incredible. Like It's still, mm. it's a testament to the skill of the effects team that it is still stomach-churning. And is, what, 40 years old? 35. Oh, oh yeah, because I had it in my head. It was 81 again. You did it to yes. me this time. It's the same age as you. Yeah. And Don't just tell. like me, it is disgusting and gross. Yeah, it makes me sick to look at. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's crack on. So, we're looking at very early days, Jeff Goldblum being, sorry, not quite our sort of dashing leading creature that he is today, but certainly extremely beyond capable. I'll talk about it and rant about it a lot later. He definitely became a lot cooler with age and a lot more Jeff. And at the <laughs> moment we are young Jeff, uh, young playing Jeff. Seth. Jeff yeah. to Seth. And we, we're straight into the action, you know, yep. we open in the middle of a, a party. A scientist party of it's some kind? It's for Particle magazine, I believe. Well, she's there for Particle magazine. There to investigate Bartok scientists. Yes. So I assume that it's a party given for or by Bartok scientists? Do you know it makes me think of the parties that Bruce Wayne just randomly has, where he's like, I think I'll invite some dangerous terrorists and every rich person I know and just be like, fund each other. <laughs> yeah. Fund each other. There will be like some rich philanthropists there, some society people and the scientists are there as well and they're sort of yeah. doing some networking. And into all of this comes our young journalist from, as you say, Particle Magazine. Yes, which I love the name of. Veronica, everybody, played by Gina Davis of Beetlejuice fame. That's where ah. I know her from. Where do you know Gina Davis I d from? I, I don't know, actually. Probably she's from this. And so she's done a lot of work sort of in the last decade or so in getting more women into making films and uh, makes total behind sense. the camera which is yeah fantastic yeah that makes total sense leather jacket shoulder pads and rolled sleeves it's incredibly soft leather 
she is pure 80s at the, in this moment. Her and Jeff have the same hair. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Her and Jeff are a couple at this point as well. Uh, like IRL, in, yes. In IRL, yes, exactly. So that you've got the chemistry right off the bat. But she's, in, she's, as well as being very, very 80s, she's also styled immediately as capable and like, don't mess with me. She hasn't got a lot of time for Seth and his nonsense at this mm, party, but yeah. she's meant to be schmoozing with the bigger and better. Luckily, he's charming and she's insecure, so it, it really worked. <laughs> I did also read that Gina, because her and Jeff are quite a close couple, and for anybody listening that's into the woo stuff that I'm into, they are a Libra and Aquarius couple, so you know what that means. Extreme compatibility means extreme mirroring from those two, so they were just stuck in an endless loop of pretending to be each other by accident, and uh, Gina had to receive some sort of coaching to stop her from doing a Jeff impression (laughs) in the scenes that they filmed together. Because they're not supposed to know each other at this point. Exactly. Yes, and somehow, Seth convinces Veronica to get in the car with him, saying, I've got a secret, (laughs) and uh, takes her to his pad to say look at what i can do and in the car ride on the way there we get this lovely um (laughs) i was gonna say seth but this bit really is just jeff goldblum isn't it so occasionally jeff goldblum just slips into being himself and this kind of when i was a kid i uh puked on my tricycle talking about his motion sickness yeah he suffers terribly from it turns out which feels just like a little bit of awkward geeky small talk but will be important later (laughs) yeah looking around his lair if you like i feel like the first sort of 25 30 minutes of the film really read like a again batman villain before he turns so it's sort Uh of like the the scientist that's about to fall into the vat of liquid that makes them into a baddie or like the radioactive waste they're about to come into contact with like it really has that in fact toxic avenger thing of like a geeky guy that just turns and i guess jekyll and hyde right um, although he wasn't necessarily a geek so maybe ignore that well one. no but of course jekyll and hyde is from what 1886 yeah. so he is a dedicated man of science, which, which was... is very much a late Victorian geek. Or the idea is all the things which are repressed in him come out in Hyde, right? So yes. he is socially awkward. He is dedicated to his uh, craft. He's very, very good at the science. He's not so good at the social interactions, is Dr. Jekyll. So th- yes. there's certainly a line through. But I've really written quite a few times I've made reference to Jekyll and Hyde in this mm. film because it really feels like the hammer horror version of Jekyll and Hyde mm-hmm. the themes that are explored in that are they turn up in this film where it's like the darker side or the more primal or the wilder or the wrong side of Seth yeah absolutely Seth, Seth is the hero and the villain yeah it's and, cracking and, and for a fair amount of the film he's sort of both in one well there's something to be said for the way that everybody changes power balance in this film actually and role everybody's switching roles all the time so there's a film um have you seen phone booth i have not seen phone booth no i had a very interesting and strange drama teacher uh, way back in the day who did some incredibly inappropriate things but just in life <laughs> but he had some really interesting advice for things to watch out for when you're acting and he used the film phone booth as an example of 
the power play between the two main characters constantly changing. Sometimes one would be in control. Sometimes the other one would relinquish it deliberately. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and watching it play like that was much easier on a small scale because there's just a phone booth and a phone call. Right, You know, course, so yeah. you could really watch them play back and forth. Well, this is a small scale film. Tiny we don't cast. have a big cast. We don't have a lot of sets. Nope. You, nope. you don't notice this, but a lot of it takes place in this apartment that we just introduced to. Yeah, here. I would say there's th- there's three, four sets maybe, and yeah. that's your lot in a film that's this, like, out there. But the reason I mention it is because everybody at some point is portrayed or coded as the baddie or a villain in some way. Everybody's a bit of a sleaze. Everybody's got a kind of agenda. But, and I even think that of Veronica. Yeah. But also... Everybody's got the same goal in mind. Their goals are pretty pure. It's just there's some level of corruption that makes them all behave or lie or, you know. Yeah. And it's really interesting watching everybody switch. And I think there's probably several different commentaries on how, as he changes, the way everybody else changes becomes more authentic around him. He feels like he's reaching an authenticity as his fly human self. And we'll talk about it more when we get to it. But, yeah, it forces everybody else to be exceptionally honest one after the other. Ah. It's really interesting. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Hadn't thought about that, but we'll pick up on that. Yeah, I, I, I zoomed ahead. Well, I can bounce off that, no problem. I was just going to say, when we first get to the apartment, that he plays the piano very well. He immediately goes well, to the piano and sits down at it, yeah. right? Do you have something on this? Yeah, yeah, well, what I put was, he is frighteningly like an ex of mine. He had ADHD too, <laughs> you know, where it would be like, come back to mine, I've got this amazing idea. Oh, I'm just going to sit and play a piano. I can't quite make eye contact, but I can like recite this encyclopedic knowledge of i don't know the environment mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but yes i was also going to suggest the bode burnout uh, instagram account just as a slight detour Ooh. because you and i have been scrolling through posts that they regularly do on worst first dates okay yes gotcha yeah did yeah. i did you lose me i didn't know who that was but ah, uh, yes yes I... and the threat of death isn't cute and it's something that jeff does here where he's like yeah. basically if, if oh, I, I can't let you go now you've you've seen you've already seen them you've seen too much i can't let you live I can't let you live. And it's like, nope, first date and first meeting, it's still not cute to joke about killing your date. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wasn't in 86 and it's not now. But check out that account because it's worth your time and it's also quite enlightening. Go on. But you're busy talking about balance of power here and yes. she is entirely unruffled and you always feel that she has the upper hand here. I do anyway. Oh, do you? No, I didn't at all. I feel like she's frightened for a lot of that scene. Which he's he's frightened. He's nervous. But I don't know if she's at all ruffled by this in any way. She when she's trying to back out of there as well. But even before, like she's trying to get out at every opportunity, but also wants to see it. If she could have watched the whole thing through a bird hide, she would have felt a lot better. She's she's extremely skeptical of his claims, but I think yeah. she is charmed by him in a Oh dear. Yeah. I thought she was just using him this whole time. That's interesting. Again, like of course we're gonna see it. Completely differently, but I. Well, hmm. okay. Well, I, one of the big reasons, of course, is is in this scene coming up when he asks for something to to demonstrate his mm-hmm. machine. Oh, okay. I don't know if we want to get to that yet. Hmm. Well, hmm. I I'll tell you what I put. I put why are there so many reporters in horror? That's a good question. <laughs> This is a change from the quote-unquote original. This is a 
film version of a short story, mm-hmm. I think also called The Fly, that was first published in Playboy magazine in 1957. Playboy? Yeah. Wow. You know, people used to read it for the articles. <laughs> Published in Playboy, it was a big success. The rights were immediately bought up and it was adapted for the screen wow. the following year, uh, The Fly. Vincent Price is the big name in it, although he doesn't play the Brundle role in that. But his wife in this, the main character's yep. wife, is not a reporter. We don't have that. We have Vincent Price is his sort of avuncular colleague who ends up sort of investigating all of this. Yes. But, but it's uh, the fact of her being a reporter is an innovation for the... 80s film, yes, which is not in the source material. There's an element of a reporter being the connector between the world that we're fed, someone that can investigate that isn't in the law and wouldn't try and arrest yep. everything, and also wants to investigate it rather than run from it. You know, it, yeah. it's supposed... I think there's a lot of um, 80s and 90s, and I guess actually also naughty stuff. In fact, no, it's a consistent trope because when we watch... 30 stuff there's the plucky reporter in oh, everything yes. who's like willing to d- go through danger for all sorts yeah so perhaps it's just forever implying that those people are adventurous and curious and will always look yeah it does give you a plot reason for these people to stick around in dangerous and frightening situations yeah. especially when like this they've only just met the protagonist i've put here as well gina is terrible at being mean and i <laughs> even put because she clearly fancies jeff yep but that's because they're together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is ro- lovely. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah. I also put, hey, she literally could have just picked her shoe. Yeah. Well, as the item. In, at least in at script level for a while, it was a knickers and they switched it. Oh. Um, and I think they were right to switch yes. it. Yes. I think. There that, wasn't enough of a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it does do a very good job at setting up because we we're about 10 minutes into the film here, I think. And it's just been the two of them. So we have got. It's a pretty good idea of both of their characters. Yeah. And that jars for, for me if she just like whips off her undercrackers. Oh, yeah, completely. Undercrackers. Go on. <laughs> Hands them over straight away. Yeah. It doesn't fit anything that we've heard about her character or before or since. No, and it wouldn't allow... I think Jeff, because he kind of started at an 11 with Creepy, I don't think he could go further than that. I also think that him whispering, so Seth Brendel whispering to his machine is a very nice touch. So he has voice activation involved on it, but also whispers a little code to it. And it is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of sexy secret. You know, it's kind of like you can have this bit where you know that it has X, Y, Z, but nobody gets to know the full story. Of course. That's a nice way of doing it. I love that he deliberately farmed the tasks out to other people and that nobody knew what they were building. Yeah, it's a really, a really nice, nice touch. idea. But I was fascinated by how many 80s films were about tech because obviously tech was evolving at an alarming rate in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Things were popping out of Japan that we couldn't have even dreamt of, you know, at that yeah. point. And they were coming to America and just blowing people's minds, you know. So, all I mean, Tron is a really good example, right? Yeah. Where you get that switch, but then suddenly tech, people were really having, like, imagination about tech in the way that they had in the 60s, you know, with that, there's a word for it, retro-futurism. Retro-futurism. Retro-futurism is, like, is a retrospective one, because, of course, at the time it was just futurism, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, yeah, this 60s idea of what, like, the year 2000 would look like. Yes. Retro-futurism, yeah. Yes. But it's a bit like that. The 80s stuff is having a wave of that now, I would wager. 
Sure. I would say that it's become quite nostalgic to look back at what the 80s thought would be happening nowadays or what inventions we could have. Yes. And a lot of our design now is coming from that boxy 80s plastic place, you know, where things were really starting to look modern. So it's really interesting watching it all do this weird feedback loop, but also no one was right about the future. And that's quite nice as well. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of reference to it. But the reason I brought it up is because the design on these pods and things that he's talking about, the telepods that he's designed, he's showing them, they look like beehives, kind of futuristic beehives. They're um, they're a bike, aren't they? They're a... Yes, they were a bit of his bike. Who's? Cronenberg's, I think. Yes, yes. I think Cron- it was the it director's bike, but reversed, up, yeah, upside down and, and elongated. Like a dirt bike, like a not a dirt bike, like a motorbike. Motorbike, yes. Although she says it looked like uh, phone booths, which in a way they are, of course. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Technology-based horror, yes. So it makes sense, things like Lawnmower Man coming out mm. all in one big stretch and being about the fear that technology can go wrong yeah and um we're in mid 80s so we're into the era of the home computer although yes. he's got this very retro more slightly more mad scientist get up in them it looks beautiful but the you know buttons his, make the his, best noise yeah whenever we see the computer screen mm-hmm. it's all it's all animation it's all it's cell oh. animation really beautifully done cell animation yeah, wow um, that is beautifully so, done yeah god that's it's, it's really good, good. It? yeah what a job to try and make it look like type. Printed, but like, yeah, yeah. It's not hand drawn, but it's all done. Oh, with, okay, okay. It's all done with animation techniques, if that makes sense. That Rather than, as sense. opposed to computer generated, there's very little computer effects work here. It's all, yeah. all practical effects. It's all model effects, and yeah, a few years later, they just wouldn't. You just wouldn't do it like that. No, not at all. That's so interesting. John gets hey. <laughs> <laughs> he's an absolute hottie here he is possibly one of my least favorite characters in horror ever just because he's an absolute mega douchebag but i will come round to his strange arc later because it is quite fascinating what they do with him however what's it stathis is who he is playing and yep. he is a major sort of salt and pepper fox what? Nothing. You're not into salt and pepper salt fox? Salt and pepper fox. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. You do you. Uh, sharp suit, terrible tie, excellent beard, I've written. Genus velvet trousers look wonderful. Um, again, lots of costume stuff here. Uh, it's all downhill from here, uh, I will say. There's, there's one more actually good outfit. And then Mrs. Cronenberg, if that is your real name. Denise. Oh, it was his sister, not his wife. Ah, Ms. Ms. Cronenberg. Denise Cronenberg, costume designer, sister of Dave, gave up. (laughs) (laughs) She was just like, yeah, I guess pastel. And there's a real opportunity with a film like this to show where the characters are at with your clothing and we didn't we genuinely didn't bother there was one scene near the end where we stopped giving gina davis as much makeup and that was your lot like we didn't go for it and i was disappointed in that but i've never thought about it it's very visually striking and arresting and there's some wonderful things with lighting and creature design but costumes yeah maybe it was a case of there's so much going on that we'll keep it nice and simple with the costumes but they didn't keep it nice and simple in the first yeah 
this is where they're in the office together briefly yeah. and essentially Veronica is trying to tell on Seth. You know? Yeah. Because Seth gets very, not upset, but quite anxious and angsty. He just suddenly notices that he's been talking to a journalist about his top secret. Yeah, and he's like, oh no, no, you can't write this down and I wouldn't tell this to a journalist. And he says, well, you just, you just, you just did. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing with him chatting to his computer as well, it's just like he's a chatty, talkative sort of man who lives on his own and yes. has no one to talk to apart from his machines. And his baboon. Yeah. <laughs> well, baboons. Baboons. Oh, yes, but we did skip a tiny little bit ahead. We've we've astounded Gina Davis by moving a stocking. Oh, no idea. We've teleported her stocking. That's kind of important. <laughs> we've teleported her stocking. She's shocked. She's excited. She tries to tape him. He gets antsy because she's taping him she does manage to get some of it on tape and she takes it to sexy john Getz. yeah who is her editor at particle magazine particle off the back of this seth sort of rocks up anxious Mm -hmm. saying what did they say and she's like oh they didn't believe me you know yeah and he says i will take you for a cheeseburger now if jeff goldblum offered me a cheeseburger to explain the situation. I wouldn't mind that he punctuated everything with a French fry. I would just be watching him enthralled. Do you know what I mean? Like, it really is. He could have had anything. It could have been like a real badass cigarette in hand. None of that. He's This isn't Jurassic Park. This is fully like, I'm going to tell you what I mean with a chip. Yeah, and they both look great in this diner scene, I think. This is yeah. my, my one costume note is, I think he has a knitted tie. He does have a knitted tie, which is from the 70s, knitted ties, right? Yeah, I guess. So a lot of his... But then he's only got one outfit five times. Yeah. uh, Einstein style. Einstein style. We end up in Veronica's house, and it's so gross. (laughs) It's so disgusting. What is pastel beige? Did you know that existed? Because apparently there is a beige for every pastel colour. Yeah. Why would you do that? It looked like she'd smoked 60 a day in one seat yeah and just didn't bother opening the windows it was awful and i it doesn't match the rest of her character it looked like her nan's flat <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's the flat of an old person and it's very like weirdly stylish if you redo the the colors like its layout looks quite modern it doesn't look like an old person's house no. in that it's not full of like little brass knickknacks and things but just the color scheme is very like nan catalog well that and the those Things that should never exist, those um, runners above a curtain. Oh, right, yeah. I didn't notice those. Awful. But... It's runners above a curtain and... and Is that a pelmet? Is that called a yes. pelmet? Yes, so a go. pelmet above a curtain and, uh, I don't know, a, a boogeyman curtain for under the bed. You know, like <laughs> oh, where they have a divan with a skirt. Yeah, Ooh. around the edge. No. That, that has the name as well. That might be it. Is that a pelmet as well? I Pelmets hate... are very... I've said the word pelmet more in this than in any of the other episodes. We'll correct that. We'll go back through and edit. And put put pelmet in. Oh, mm. Yeah. Bad decor's not the only nasty thing in the flat. No, sexy John gets in the shower. And it's nasty. I'm fine. <laughs> the Stathis is an utter douchebag, and in brackets, sorry, a petty schmuck. I wanted to use her language there. Well, he's both. He's both. <laughs> and he has rocked up in her place because he has a key from those times that they were together. They were properly together. I was going to say just having sex, but they were actually together because she asked him to move in. Yeah. She gave him a key. It was regular. However, we later find out that he was her professor somewhere and that he's an even bigger creep. He gets creepier and creepier, but at the moment he's just being a 
needy little cow bag turning up at her house saying, I felt, what does he say? I felt grimy or something. Yeah, he needed a wash, so he just dropped by to use her shower. What an oddball. Yeah, he's a weird guy. (laughs) I really fancy him. (laughs) But not for his character. Anyway. Well, one thing is, he says, you know, she says, how did you get in? And he says he has a key. And when he asks why she hasn't changed the locks yet, she says, I'm lazy and disorganised. She's clearly neither of those things. I don't know what's going on there. (laughs) Then maybe he's right. Maybe she was keeping the door a little bit open for him. They want him back in some way, Mm. yeah. That's true. She is not. That's a very good point. At no point is she lazy or disorganised. What a liar. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose he's also there to give us one of his plot functions as well as a setting up mm. that they that they were an item. Mm-hmm. He gives us some of Brundle's bona fides. Now, we don't really need these because we have just seen him teleport a stocking. Or we know yes, this is we know he's good, but we have, yeah, we have Stathis... And his statistics. Statistics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to back that stuff up, to yeah. say, oh, he's got, I don't know, 10 degrees or... He was part of a team that was either given a Nobel or going to be given a Nobel yes. when he was a very young man. He's probably a genius of some kind. Which is really in contrast to when he first meets Brundle. Yeah. When Brundle comes into his office, he's like, well, bye, I'll leave you with this carnival trickster. The magician. He's referred yeah. to as the magician a lot, and I will come to that shortly from a tarot perspective. Mm, that's interesting, mm-hmm. yes. There's some particularly sexy 80s button clicks. Very delicious, very crunchy. But we're trying to put a baboon through the teleport. Teleport, yeah. We're trying to do it because we've managed to convince Gina Davis to film our work yeah. and to write a book together. So the, the idea, the whole chip scene that I... <laughs> I got obsessed with the chip and forgot to tell you what they were talking about. They were discussing that she would write a book. She wouldn't give the article to her dirt boy ex. She would write a book with Jeff to document his amazing findings. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So she's filming everything. And she films this baboon being put into the... What are they called? Telepod. The telepod, yeah. Which is nearly telephone, I guess. Well, it's telly is distance, isn't it? Yes. Port is door, right? Like a portal. So teleport is mm. distance door, which I guess makes That's sense. Nice. You go in one and come out the other. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> so a telepod. Is a pod. Is, uh, a distance pod. Is this a telepod? If someone is oh, listening in Bahrain? Like a podcast, telly. Mm, telly podcast. Oh. oh, that's the TV. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 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 one page not even done yet this oh, is yeah. going well. well so one bloody limb hits the glass and makes everyone jump and then there's some hardcore Cronenberg gore made me jump even though it was entirely clear that that was what was going mm. to happen it was inside out and it's it's really horrible it's really distressing <laughs> really gross. Yeah, the, yeah it's really nasty I really like the technique to switch it so that Gina Davis's character is filming Jeff. It's nice to take the camera out of the hands of the actual director and bring it to some sort of found footage element, sort of. Oh, right. Where we have her interviewing him from behind the camera. It's really intimate, suddenly. Like, Mm. it's really sweet. It really feels like you're there. 
Seth is deeply disappointed. He actually swears and he hasn't sworn up to that point. Mm -hmm. He's extremely wound up and she's trying to comfort him, but it's sort of, he's really not quite hearing it. And then I put, is Veronica a sapiosexual or was this written by a man? There is no (laughs) discernible reason other than sapiosexuality where she would throw herself at him in that scenario. Yeah, yeah. And and sapiosexuality is a good hypothesis. It makes sense given that she went for her professor and yeah she's gone for this guy who's one of the biggest genius minds in yeah the world. and he is like he is brilliant like in terms mm. in what he's he's doing it is if i were to have a criticism of the film mm. is that sure like the whole thing is a romance in mm-hmm. some ways but given what's to come which you know we'll, we'll get to mm. but and given that we have a hour and a half runtime Mm-hmm. Or just a, a shade over mm. that their romance here, such as it is, is by necessity quite compressed because of all of the other work you have, the yes. film has to do in its its runtime. Well, I wrote these notes before you told me that they were in a relationship. Okay. So I said their sexual chemistry is there, but it's super weird, and it really works because they're both awkward and strange humans in this scenario. So they're cuddling is that of an alien pairing. (laughs) It's not cuddling as we would know it in human form. But it involves a chip being accidentally stuck into his back, an injury for for poor Jeff. A little bit of foreshadowing there. Yes, Um, machines harming Yes, which is a very Cronenberg idea, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Videodrome, everybody, and the rest. I love the score of this film as well. It's by Howard Shaw, and it's really, it's really quite moving. Like I think it makes it more of a romantic. Mm. You know, we were talking a lot about Philip Glass and Candyman in the last episode, yeah, and that really transformed the film. This one seems to add to it rather than transform it because it's already played and designed as a very, as you say, romantic film, but certainly as a tragedy. Yeah. And I think the score really adds to that tragic, romantic atmosphere that's happening here, despite us being in a dirty camp bed. You <laughs> yes. know, a dirty pull-out bed in somebody's filthy Like weird <laughs> science warehouse lab. science lab thing where he also just lives. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Veronica makes some strange reference to baby cheeks and old people wanting to bite flesh. Which yeah. is Cronenberg again. I mean, have you yeah. seen Crash? The I have Cronenberg not seen Crash, Crash no. But I'm, it's a horrendous nightmare. But I've, it's, I've read the book. and I've read the book and it's, yeah. it's <laughs> somehow worse. Mm. Kind of. Actually, anyway, read, watch and tell us what you think, listener. But she's talking about baby cheeks. That gives him the idea of steak and moving steak about. Mm. They had steaks that she got in for breakfast. Let's put some stakes through the telepod. It's a good idea. He's a good scientist, or at yeah. least thus far. He's got a very g- good idea of like how it works, considering this is, at least in some ways, to say like a remake of a f- dumb 50s monster yes. movie. The science is decent. His hypothesis that computers are dumb and that they only know about what you tell them is interesting and, and proper and yeah, is, a, is something that is built from an understanding of computers and logic boards and how they work so yes you got to teach them he says you got to teach them about the flesh right so Ugh. put the put the stake through i think he overcooks the teleported stake horrifically i'm sure you do but i mean 
I don't know why he cooked it. So she could eat it. I so suppose. she could eat it, yeah. It looked alright. Mm. I then put the note, how is Jeff so okay with a baboon? So I looked this up. This is Typhoon the baboon. Is it the same one that was in Shakma? It is not, to my knowledge, the same baboon as the Shakma boon. <laughs> but Typhoon the baboon was a danger to himself and others on the set. <laughs> so it's good to know. Typhoon's handler was thrilled to bits that Jeff Goldblum, who was ripped at the time, was a six foot five dominant human being. The handler was reported to have said at the time that if Jeff hadn't been there, the women on set might have had some trouble because um, poor Typhoon cacked his kegs at the sight of the flashing lights. Yeah. And nearly broke through a telepod. I think, I think he, he said, broke the glass. Yeah, somebody you said that someone had said that he was very much a wild animal rather than an actor that was just <laughs> happened to be sort of roped in for for shooting. Well, he's a natural. The bits where they're just shooting him and he looks concerned. Yeah. Crack him, but it's probably because he's surrounded by because camera. Because he is and concerned. He's, he's literally just too hot. Yes. <laughs> so this is as well where we both did a little ah moment because travel sickness. Travel sickness as a motivation for wanting teleportation to happen. I don't understand quite why Seth would feel like travelling even further and faster would help. But <laughs> well, he, well, he's a man of science, right? He understands that it's a it's a disintegrator and reintegrator. I think he refers to it at one point. Yes. So I guess it makes sense that he will not conceptualise it as just like getting in a very very fast car i guess and zooming to the other the other thing he had taken apart at a molecular level and reassembled which it turns out is has its disadvantages yes well um, not really well no not well, really well, at all. no yeah it's a good point i'll come on to that later okay I, my only note on this is that brundle's baboon supply company asks no questions no uh, unless he got unless them both at the same time them. or yeah he did say they were his brother yeah. I've put, is this a romance dash bloody autism? And no, she did an open eye kiss, which is Hollywood code for liar. Oh. Right? Yes. Normally, when you convince somebody of something and then you open eye kiss them, we're supposed to know as the viewer that you're full of poop. So, what was she lying about? This is where she suggests a little holiday for them. Yes. And he says, is this a romance? Yeah, you're right. It's right. <laughs> We've purposely been seen that he can play the piano, so like that's the arts side of thing, right? He's not stereotyped as just a science guy. He is. He does have some magnetism, but he isn't very good at this interaction with this like capable, strong, sexy woman. I would say you're looking at somebody with textbook, if there is such a thing, Asperger's, either swinging wildly between intense staring blinkless eye contact yeah and no eye contact whatsoever you've got inability to focus on the task at hand when there's something going on in your mind brain you've got the strange social interactions where we need confirmation that things are happening yes <laughs> is this a romance are you flirting with me looking confused when you're handed the stocking of a stranger this kind of <laughs> stuff it's really there 
But he's extremely high functioning. He knows how to exist in these spaces and he's spent a lot of time alone and all of that will massively help, you know, in this situation. So it makes total sense for my (laughs) strange armchair diagnosis. Well, I was going to say, I've got a a thing from the screenplay that you will like then. Oh, really? Um, I'll credit at this juncture, there is a monograph on the film by Emma Westwood. It's Mm. just called The Fly and it's by Auteur Publishing who've also done the books that I've used for uh, The Witch and possibly one other, I can't remember. But anyway, it's a series. I think it's owned by Liverpool University Press now. Uh, I have a couple more of the books, but I don't think we've covered their films as of yet. But excellent work. And that, one of the things that this book told me was that a note from the screenplay that didn't make it onto the screen was that he likes eating at that fast food place that he takes for hamburgers because he likes the predictable uniformity of the food. Of course. Which... Hello. (laughs) That's exactly what I got from it because it's the way she takes the mick out of hamburgers is the way that I used to take shamelessly take the mick out of that ex of mine. Right. Where I go, oh, are we going here? Because it's the place you always go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, he's such a stain. So I must be talking about John Getz. Yeah, that's my note is Stathis has problems. (laughs) Stathis has many problems. I can't remember what any of them are. I think, oh, I think it was him asking, are you mine then? Oh, no, not yet. He accosts her in the shop because he's followed her there. He's parked his Maserati yes. outside of the um, <laughs> converted warehouse lab place yeah. and presumably sat there sort of seething and gripping the uh, steering wheel mm-hmm. because he is... A stain. A stain, as yes. you say, yes. Would you like some stress-relieving sex? <laughs> With a douchebag? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, really yeah, he's not gets, ask- gets the kinks out. He's not asking for, like, love or affection. He just wants to bang her now and again. Which makes sense. She is a much younger model for somebody like that. You know, yeah. she does fit the profile and she is rejecting him. So, obviously, moth to a flame. <laughs> Drunk in charge of a teleport, though, poor Jeff. Yeah. He's left feeling jealous and insecure. Interestingly, as well, he, there were problems on set with Jeff Goldblum and John Getz uh, well with Jeff Goldblum because every time <laughs> yeah. yeah because every time John Getz and Gina Davis Gina Davis every time John Getz and Gina Davis were filming a scene together that was in any way close Jeff would get so jealous that he actually ended up being escorted off set for being <laughs> a, a dum-dum Wow, yeah. <laughs> and shouting a bit and getting itchy, which explains why he didn't appreciate the alternative ending where they ended up happily ever after. Yes. Because <laughs> he's like, absolutely not on my watch. Even though it's not real, Jeff, it's just a film. I <laughs> know, yeah, you're an actor. Yeah. You're not really a fly. <laughs> you're right, this is his bad decision. His terrible decision that is actually an absolutely great decision. It was just that he was too drunk to do all the checks. Yeah. But apart from that, it would have been amazing. He literally would have been able to do it. He would have been able to teleport himself had there been no awkward fly. Which, by the way, Shakma, (laughs) what's his name? Typhoon. Typhoon, acting with that fly is next level. Is that a real fly? That's good work, isn't it? Is it a fly on a string? It might be a fly on a string. I haven't been able to find out, but um, yeah, it... Because my first thought was that it wasn't there at all. I know, but what's he doing? But he is doing. He is interacting with something in the in the space. Because <laughs> you know, obviously, if you you can put like a little dot and yeah. you can foley in a a noise, but he does appear to be actually physically interacting with the thing. And it's so so. My money is on real fly, but that isn't. I don't know that. That's just what I've guessed. You know, maybe they put some. I don't know what the fly is like. 
what do flies like to, to fly towards? Maybe they put some of that in his hand. Maybe they put some poop in Shakma's hand. I should stop <laughs> telling him Shakma. Maybe they put some poop in <laughs> Typhoon's hand. And maybe, I don't know. I, I mean, it's... really, I guess like what we should have, should have done was find out rather than like engage in baseless speculation and then make people listen to it. I haven't seen the fact anywhere, and I feel like that would be like up there. Yeah. So <laughs> that baboon is an amazing actor. I've put the dry ice that comes out when Seth has completed his first teleport mm-hmm. moment. Really looks like an alien spaceship. It looks like how they yeah. do alien landings, and it's got the light and it's got the dry ice everywhere. Veronica is gorgeous. Why is she wearing those awful clothes? Ah, it begins. Well, like I said, before you get to that, I feel like this first teleportation is worth talking about in a little bit more detail. Because A, the reason he makes his bad decision, well, is because he's drunk. But also, just like Stathis, he's he's intensely jealous. He puts it together because the thing comes under the door, which is the mock-up magazine cover with which Stathis is blackmailing Mm -hmm. Ronnie. And so he sees the thing saying from the desk of John Stathis and he realises that's the old boyfriend. They're going to have champagne and takeout and then she immediately runs out the door. Yep. He's put two and two together. He's worked out that that's where she's gone, mm-hmm. old boyfriend, and he's jealous and he's drunk, which is why he gets in. So he's jealous and Stathis is jealous. They're both jealous of each other. Yep. And in the 1958 film, which is definitely a point of reference for an audience in 1986, I mean, it's still sort of... It's not famous now, but it's still known. Yes. And in the 1958 film, this point at which he does the teleportation is the point at which when he comes out of the telepod, mm-hmm. he's got the head of a big fly, the head and arm of a, yes, of a fly. Yes, the famous and, one, yes. And I feel like the dry ice comes out and the dry ice obscures the form in the pod. Oh, and they hold right. back for, a, a, not long, but just for a little bit to draw a little bit of attention. And I think it's to make the audience think... That there's going to be a a, a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've seen the the fly. You can't miss the fly going in to no. the pod. You, the audience, are supposed to notice that. He doesn't notice that. He's drunk and sort of not angry, but certainly jealous and sort of grumbling. Yes. So he doesn't notice, but you do. You, the audience, do. But then when he comes out, he appears to be absolutely fine. It's worked, marvelous. Which is a twist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was what I wanted to say about the about this scene, but I think it's important. <laughs> cool. Veronica is gorgeous. Why is she wearing those awful clothes? It begins right. So here's where we start dressing her poorly. Jeff has abs now. Yeah. Hi. What I wanted to say is that this film has a real kind of a couple of real sleeper surprises, and one of them is honest emotional expression in men. Oh. Super rare. Yeah. Super super rare in the 80s. But every time a man is asked a question in this, he's honest. Oh. About his emotions. I yeah. Think. Every single time. She's yeah, like, sometimes well, they are ugly. Completely, but, it, but every single time it's the truth. He's it, not lying. It's a bit like when an evil queen puts a spell on a bloke. <laughs> you know, there's no way that normally a bloke would want to be like... Yeah, I'm jealous and I, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but for some reason, it's something that this woman inspires in these people that they just automatically tell her. And I love the line. He actually says, I was upset. How often do you see men say that in yeah. film? 
It's really genuinely rare. I was jealous. I was upset. I had too much to drink. And owning up to all of it in a second. But even though Stathis is a deeply flawed and horrible character, he's still relentlessly honest to the point of where he's like, stress relief sex, you know, (laughs) just going out there. And it's why I really flagged up that lie. However, I then write, you know, so yes, we have that honesty and it's banging. But oh no, now we have open eye kissing from Jeff. Uh, Out of nowhere. Yeah. His mind is obviously buzzing, lol. Pun not in, well, pun intended. Pun very definitely much. intended, yeah. And they have a, a couple of moments together, and then we, we're supposed to believe they're either having sex or doing whatever it is that Jeff and Gina would do. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, the worst thing is, he said, talk about like um, open eye kissing. What we know on at least some level is that this isn't Seth anymore, or this yes. isn't entirely Seth. This is. Brundlefly as he becomes later, right? So like the <laughs> the genetic material of the fly is already having an effect on him and changing him. Yes. I've also subtly at first. Do flies sleep? I think they must. Do they? I don't think I've ever seen them sleep. <laughs> Pause. They do. Turns out flies <laughs> do sleep. <laughs> They do, and quite a lot, and they sleep at night, and they take naps during the day. So really, this was inaccurate (laughs) at best. But life goals for me are to look that good in just a man's white dress shirt. I feel like it's great. Yeah. Well, it's a classic, though, isn't it? Like wearing your boyfriend's shirt. Yeah. So core strength from Dirty Jeff. And that really, I mean. Yes, it's core strength from Seth, but it is also core strength from Jeff. He did work out. He is buff. He does look good. They have also, the props department or the costume department have definitely sprayed his abs with the stuff that they do to define it. So sort of a kind of mixture of self-tan and some other bits to do some decent shading. Because although he has the muscles there, it's the same guy (laughs) in the beginning of the film. You know, it'd be really hard to... Yeah, yeah. But he's... Jeff trained to be able to do all of those gymnastics, but at, at six foot five... There were moves in there he actually just couldn't do. So mm-hmm. for the ones he couldn't do on screen, you're seeing a stunt double. And for the ones he could do, you're just seeing Jeff. Yeah, and it's nicely done. It's mm-hmm. well done and cut so that, you know, you'll get a bit of stunt double and then we'll cut to a bit that Jeff could do. So you get his face doing it yeah. and stuff that we couldn't tell, I think. We had to check afterwards. Yeah, we did. Which is we one did. of the reasons I think it's important to tell you because if it fool does it might fool you not fool you that's not how films work of course you go in and you suspend your disbelief but it's often even in sort of fairly large budget big hollywood films you yeah, can it's, tell it's a wig and a shorter person yeah, yeah but it's really nicely done and it is both of those things here but it's really well done yeah uh here's the last good outfit that ronnie has and it's really genuinely a great one i would absolutely wear column of black gross pink coat Blackberry. She looks absolutely beautiful. She goes randomly shopping with new fly Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's something in here about her finally having fun. So I was trying to figure out why this scene is here. And at first I thought maybe it's to make it look like they're actually falling in love, but this isn't real Seth. She already knows real Seth by this point. Mm -hmm. But what I suggested was that her last boyfriend... And I'm making a lot of assumptions. But the last partner had to be kept a little bit in secret. He had his own key to her flat, which implies they didn't date much. 
a professor to an undergrad relationship yep. is never particularly appropriate. And he's well old, so I wondered if this was her first time having kind of fun in yeah. a dating scenario, and we get to watch her going like, oh, I can sort of do this and enjoy it and be loud and in public. And they're very cute. Like, there's a lot of kissing and a lot of laughing and, you know. Yeah, but Brundle, Brundlefly is already starting to be a little bit twitchy a little bit too much a little yeah, bit too loud weird. and he's banging the table and he does that sort of weird shouty monologue when he has all the sugar in his coffee <laughs> and well it's like you know cocaine's a hell of a drug right is my note uh, for this oh is thing. it I put is. teleportation is cocaine there we go mark? yeah there yeah. we go yes exactly yep. <laughs> um, he's absolutely again he's buzzing yeah they've been going for hours and she's only just noticed the hair on him by the way. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, oh yeah, goodness, he's also I'm now absolutely knack. Some kind of a sexual athlete as well. So she's only just noticed the hairs, the, the thick, gross hairs growing out of the wound left by oh, the little yeah. chip that pierced his skin. I will say, we're back to the conversations from exes of mine. That entire rant, the angry rant that he has at her, being like, you're boring and you suck and you suck the life out of this and you, you're you not willing to try X, Y, Z. Another X. Like, <laughs> more, more actual angry post-sex chats wow. from strange exes. And it won't be about my performance. It will be about the environment, politics, some random thing that's come up during Pillow Talk. Wow. Well, what I was going to ask, is there any of them because you won't try cocaine or whatever it is? Because the reason One of that, them, yes. Because the reason that he well i mean the reason that he blows up at her is because like his he's decaying right he's becoming yes. a weird fly hybrid but he says hey this is great i feel fantastic i love teleported me yes. it's you know it's the bee's knees and uh, you should try it too you'll be awesome we'll be the dynamic duo and she's like oh, oh no dear me no and that's what sort of triggers all of this and it's why i've put teleportation is cocaine yes now. exactly but also yes one of those conversations was genuinely about substances right so yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a really similar dynamic and her response to it is actually a sane one we don't just get like pulled in she gets away and he's pretty pretty angry about it <laughs> I've, put, I've picked some oddballs but it's the life you choose when you mostly fall for geniuses <laughs> yeah i guess yeah 80s bar flies versus the human fly is quite a oh, nice... Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice moment. Seth goes on the rampage looking for something else to bang until dawn. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know well, though. His skin is already disturbing. Yeah. And he's beginning to secrete from the palms. But also, like, he, he doesn't look well, but also you can't imagine the guy we meet at the beginning going out and picking fights in a bar yeah. over a floozy, you know? He's, he's, a floozy? Yeah, a floozy. Right. I, think, I think that's a fair summation. Do you? Of um, Tawny, I guess Tawny. That was her name. Yeah, Bath he takes on. Is nice. He takes on the barflies for the literal hand of Tawny. They try to get aggro, but he's quite a threatening presence. He engages in a brief arm wrestle with a man and just snaps his arm in the middle. And Tawny's like, "Yes, I'll go home with that <laughs> one. Thanks. The deal is done." Yeah. I will say what I've written here is 
couple of things. One is, how do you audition to scream like that? When that man's arm breaks, it's such an incredible scream. Yeah. Isn't it? It goes on for a really long time. It's really distressing. Do we think he had no arm? He did have an arm that was in effect. That was another one ah. done on little money and at very short notice by, right. what's his name, Chris, Chris Wallace. Wallace. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did have two arms. Marky was a Canadian heavyweight boxing champion, so a, a really strong and built guy. Wow. Uh, George Chuvalo, Chuvalo, Chuvalo. Chewed him up and spat him out. <laughs> That's what he did in the ring. I don't know how they did the arm break effect but it's it looks good it, well, it looks horrible and it sounds yeah. great i mean yeah. the foley person needs a medal for this entire film their name is terry burke good work the foley artist and should be celebrated throughout but yes we have gross things happening the scream all the rest of it and jeff is actually a really frightening lay like when he gets mm. this woman back there's something fair enough he carries her up the stairs and she's all a bit like ooh, tra-la-la-lol, after they've been to every bar yeah but like you know you said about the murdering thing and when, yeah when he's when they're leaving the bar she says like oh, are you a bodybuilder or something and he's like yeah I, I i take bodies apart and i put them back together again and i build bodies which is like really serial killer murderer threatening she then says are you a magician yeah. which is where we get this magician archetype I wanted to talk about. So Please in tarot, the magician is someone that has all the tools they need. Like that's the catchphrase for the card. They are able to harness the power from above and bring it into the ground. And it really is mm-hmm. the imagery of Frankenstein getting the electricity from the sky, sure. putting it down into the earth for a purpose. So it has a real archetypal echo in this episode it's having all the tools not necessarily knowing how to use them in the story of tarot for example the magician is meant to give the fool who's on the journey the tools to succeed Mm -hmm. but absolutely no clue how to use them until the next card the next card is the knowledge of how to use them right so the magician's just (laughs) like hey i'm a little bit cocky a little bit arrogant a little bit performative Mm-hmm. and charming and it is mm-hmm. all the things that this person is but of course exactly the same has the brain has the ability just hasn't quite got it right well if he was a little bit more emotionally mature he wouldn't have done it because it, it, yeah. they had that conversation before he got drunk and did it where he's like well we need to do tests on the baboon make sure it's all okay it might take a few weeks and then yeah. we, you know but then he does that because when he takes tony back to his pad he gets in the teleport machine and he does it again yeah. To, to show off, right? No. To with I say no ill effects. I mean, you know, he's still half human, half fly. Yep. But like, but but I take this to mean that the damn thing works. Uh, yep. <laughs> and if he just not got in it with a fly, it would be very, it would be a very different film. It very, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be a boring film. It'd just be an entirely different film that we it wouldn't would be talking about be on this pod. A it? film where he just picks random people up from all over the place and tries to make the ultimate woman because that's the kind of era we're in. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Where you get a kind of um, weird science style. Oh, Lord. Hybrid. And then the baboon gets in and we have more body horror. Oh, baboon woman. Yeah. <laughs> He's um. so good at being turned. He's so good at being changed, Jeff. Goldblum. It's a wonderful performance from him, it really yeah, is. Yeah, and he's trying to force this this new woman, Tawny, into the telepod, and it's really distressing. Again, trying to force someone to do cocaine, right? Trying yeah. to get drugs in them so that you're on the same level. 
Gina turns up. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't get in there. And Jeff sort of stress eats, which I love. He's just, yeah. at this point, obviously sugar, which is what flies eat, by the way. Obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. After our conversation. Probably not poo. Probably sugar. sugar. Yeah, a bit of sugar in the palm. That would be how I would do it. She doesn't get through to him. He's just extremely violent at this point. He's very angry. And I've, I've questioned, what did Cronenberg do to get this performance from Jeff? I don't think we ever see this kind of rage just, again from just him. made out with Gina Davis making eye contact <laughs> yeah, with every, Jeff. Every single time Jeff is angry, it's because Stasis is just licking a yeah. part of Gina. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I must say, I can't verify that. <laughs> but whenever I don't want to be thought of as sick, I punch a pillar to smithereens. I find that very helpful in convincing people that I'm in the prime of life. Oh, I thought that was how you told people you were on cocaine. I keep telling you to use your words. And... <laughs> Would a person on cocaine do this, I say, as I smash the structural supports of my building with my yeah. fists. Yeah, basically. But he He's... doesn't look well. No, he doesn't look well. His skin's in a bad way. She points out some of the differences. She's sad because she accidentally fell for him. He's super volatile. Now, people at the time, in the mid-80s when mm-hmm. this came out, a fair few critics read this and this facial transformation particularly as being a commentary on AIDS, the AIDS epidemic, because of the facial lesions which Mm -hmm. are characteristic of the advanced stages of the disease. And Cronenberg was always not dismissive of that, but he always said that there wasn't, he didn't have that in mind, especially. And it's interesting that people read it like that and that he just took it more as a commentary on disease, which I'll pick up again later. Because, well, I would yeah. say Seth specifically says it's some form of cancer. Yeah. He really does say that, and it feels like a lot of this is radioactive response. Sure. The the meltdown, the all the rest of it. That, oddly, doesn't make much sense, given that the only thing that went wrong was that a fly was spliced in. Yeah because none of the other things broke down their molecular structure. No. <laughs> none of the others got ill or diseased. It was just because yeah. it was the two spliced. So it's interesting they went down that route, but I think it's just a way to tell you that a fly is disease-ridden. You know, they really sure. are a carrier of... Yeah. They eat puke. You know, <laughs> they, they, they land on everything. And then they land on your food. They are a, a, a walking disease machine. <laughs> Indeed. Walking disease machine. Yeah. Yeah. Horrifying shaving and more nail removal. We can't stay away from it on Haunted Picture Palace. Oh, yeah. Sorry we about this. disgustingly remove our nails. Again, Foley, absolute medal. He's talking to himself, and this is where I feel like this is his Jekyll and Hyde realisation moment, where he's like, ooh, I am sick. Yes. I have done a bad... Is this how it starts? Am I dying? He says to yeah. the computer. It's really, really, really good sci-fi to have the computer-rendered reveal. Yeah. So good. Such yeah. a nice touch. Because this is another thing when I say that there are very few characters, and that computer is really one of them. Yeah. He's been with his interactions there, you know? Yeah. It says, basically confirms fusion. You know, it, yeah. we see the computer-rendered fly, and him realising, and the swelling score as well is really relevant mm. there. It's not really the time for a dirty phone call, but there it goes, <laughs> yeah. breathing heavy down the phone yeah. to, to Ronnie. But, you know, because he works it out with the computer's help, right? But yeah. Brundle's scientist brain is still yeah. in there and working. 
We then flash very quickly to four weeks on, which I really like because we've seen the horrors of the previous time. Yeah. So there is this horrible build-up of tension where Veronica's on the phone to him and he's, she's like, it's been four weeks, you know. Yeah, what like, happened? I've been trying to get in touch with you. Yeah, and withholding the visuals is a really great shout. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's in so much pain. It really does look painful to move. I knew an old lady who swallowed a fly, perhaps she'll die, just whispering to himself, because he's gone crackers. Yeah. Well, it's a horrifying thing to comprehend, isn't yeah. it? Once you were, you know, once he has that confirmation on the screen. Yeah. Well, you already wouldn't know it was him. The prosthetics are so good. He's a tiny bit insane. He's kind of, you know... I wasn't 100% sure that the actress Gina Davis was expecting the first round of vomit. Her, re- <laughs> her reactions too Oh, maybe not. Good. Yeah. I wonder if he just had it in his mouth. Yeah, and, and they didn't tell her about it. He had a little puke, and then his ear falls off. Yeah, which is really horrible. It is horrible. I think it's actually Jeff's reaction to that that makes it horrible. Yeah. He just starts saying, oh no. Like, yeah. like it's just too... Some of it's just too much happening yes. to him. He's totally fine with having to puke on a bunch of tiny donuts in order to eat them. He is, but then he's sort of like... It's, it is like the two sides of him are coming yeah. into conflict because then he goes, oh, that's disgusting after after doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he's he's frightened and it's a real... It's a real moment of vulnerability for him as well my favorite moment from john gatz mm-hmm. followed by my least favorite moment from john gatz oh, in the same scene wow my favorite moment is veronica runs to him and says oh something's gone horribly wrong yes. with this please assist and you know he is an older male yeah. they clearly have a close relationship and he's the only other person that knows what what the hap is yeah. so she's run back there and gone blah <laughs> all this stuff was going on I think she's filmed him because Jeff asked to be filmed. Oh, yes. Because, yeah, he's explaining a, a few things. I think he's doing a bit of a... Is it here Show or is it later on where yeah. he's saying, like, this is, this is where he identifies himself as Brundlefly. Yes. This creature that is both of them. And, again, it's the scientific instinct in him, right? To record all this stuff and to... Yeah, to document yes, it. Yes, that's what I mean. Which yes. is sort of their original contract, if you'd like. Yeah. And... <laughs> she's saying look he's he's good he's a good person blah 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 and Stathis can't really understand why Veronica is giving this fly man any more attention and yep. says the line I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person <laughs> too when you saw her socially yeah. in such a dismissive and amazing and very quick 80s way but then I've put John stop with too many A's <laughs> because does this mean I can claim your body Oh yeah, when all this is over. Yeah. So there's a few things in that one line that are really interesting. You claim a body at the morgue, right? Uh, yep. After an accident or an incident. So it's really that underlying threat again. She really is in constant peril. Constant mild to great peril throughout yep. this film. But the other thing obviously is who's laying claim to the body? It's between you and Brundlefly, and you're still insecure enough to <laughs> I, be like... This might be before he watches the video. Okay. But still, <laughs> you know. But it but it it's also picks up on what earlier in the shop, where, like, as well as saying, like, he just wants the odd bit of stress-relieving sex. Yes. Which, which is disgusting. But it's also, it's horrible to do that to her in public like that, wherever, yes. you know. But it, it's another thing where it's like, he just wants her body. Like, he's not interested in... Ah, uh, like, yeah. It, it's another it's another sort of pick-up on, or, or an echo of him not being interested in, like, a relationship with her because he knows that, that he knows that she's not going to yes. love him. But, like, he wants to claim conjugal rights. Yes. As well as the sort of necrophilic tang that hangs over the whole 
the whole thing. Veronica goes back to the weird factory bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put this out there. If Jim Carrey and Jack Nicholson had a baby, it would be Jeff Goldblum on the ceiling, crawling around like a fly. (laughs) You watch it. Okay, I'll have a look. Stathis looks bloody mortified watching the tape. Veronica is with Jeff watching him lark about on the ceiling, Mm -hmm. briefly. And then, poor Ronnie. I write poor Ronnie a lot towards the end. She she does get a bad flipping lot. And then, oh no, oh no, ah. So that's really not helpful. But I think what's happening there is her realising she is... She realises she's pregnant. Yeah. And that it is Seth's baby. She tells Stathis, who is, I think, in her home. She yeah. tells Stathis, his response is really lovely. Like, it's just a really older man. What are, we gonna, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? Like, really measured really kind really calm and i was like oh interesting and i've put you know this is a nice reaction from stathis finally and then oh lord abortion why is this in this film lots of question marks and exclamation marks and then oh that's why it's it's literally a nightmare it is literally a nightmare uh she does at some point and i will say that is a huge trigger warning the gynecologist, by the way, played by David Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> the person <laughs> Director knees, of the film. Uh, requested by Gina Davis because she said, if anyone's going to be between my legs in stirrups, it should be you. <laughs> and uh, he distorted a lot of his face with a mask and his glasses and said that he could be dubbed if he didn't like his own performance. It's true. I think it must be really hard to get in front of the camera when you're used to being behind it. And, and he, and, he never know. looks how I imagine. I know what David Cronenberg looks like and I failed to recognise him in this because I wasn't looking for him. <laughs> but also... He never looks the way I imagine he will. Because, he's incredibly young. Yeah, I mean, he's he's getting on a bit now, no, I suppose. No, in, in that And scene. he's a sort of affable Canadian guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? Whereas yeah. when you look at his films, you imagine he's going to be some kind of, like, techno-viking sort of... Oh, uh, nice! Uh, <laughs> yeah! You know, I, I, have this, I have this image of this, like, hard... Teutonic looking fella. So and you're basically, he should be the one that did House of a Thousand Corpses. I mean, that sounds Rob like Zombie. Rob Zombie. Yeah. yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly. He should look a little bit more, look a little bit less affable, a little bit more terrifying. Yeah, but he doesn't. Well, it turns out it's more terrifying when it's all in their mind. Have you seen the guy that made the Saw films? Like, ah, fair enough. Yeah, he's cute as hell, <laughs> and he's just like grinning at everything. Like, yeah, yeah, lots of blood, you know. <laughs> but they pull something out of her while they're horribly aborting it which is not how it would go in real life i assume well are they aborting it or is it like she's going into labor i'm not really sure but she, he does say something about you're going to need to pass it all oh, right which yeah is... yes but yes but some some time has elapsed because she just found out that she's pregnant yes. she's not visibly pregnant but then when she's being wheeled in it's it's sometime later oh okay right but yes yeah, sorry she <laughs> she gives birth to a, a maggot a maggot giant thing. maggot giant thing. maggot thing Oh, God, it's really absolutely... So, yeah, she's in hospital and pushing out a She is, and then she thankfully wakes up. Yeah. Just after she passes a maggot. And this feels to me like it's a bit of a cheap trick, you know, where you do do a horrible thing and then it was just a dream. I just think it was... I mean, yes, a cheap trick, but I do just think it was a way to get a more horrendous scene in that they couldn't get it anywhere else. Yeah. (laughs) David, as I say, David Cronenberg here is pretty damn young and has quite a young team we only know them as this these old boys in the field 
but really they were babies and yeah. going like yeah more <laughs> and i think it makes sense that they were trying to make it as nightmarish as possible and so we actually stick a real nightmare in there and yeah. it it skews everything uh go on interestingly uh, jeff goldblum wrote a letter to vincent price oh. then elderly but you know, still around and star and big name of the 1958 film yes saying you know, I hope you enjoyed. I forget the exact word. Uh, I don't know if you got it written down there. But I it, hope you enjoyed my own as much as I enjoyed yours. Basically, yes. yes. And uh, and Vincent uh, wrote back saying that he did enjoy it very much, right up until a certain point, and that he felt that it went a little bit too far. Have I got that fairly yeah, accurate? Yeah. And I wondered. I don't know, but I wondered if this sort of maggot baby scene. Mm. was the point that went a little bit too far for him. I can understand that, but given his place in history of film, I wonder if maybe just the removal of your own fingernails was the beginning of the end. Yeah. You know? Yeah, perhaps. Because <laughs> the type of prosthetics used would have been too far in general, I would yeah. say. Yeah, no, and it is extreme. Like, yes. uh, yeah. It, it... <laughs> I, I can see his point. I'm not going to argue with Vincent Price anyway. but <laughs> I also said that's the only way staffers could be kind in a bloody dream. <laughs> Voice recognition fail here with teeth that I just couldn't watch leaving Jeff's mouth. Oh, yeah. Ooh. But poor Ronnie again, looking deeply sad, like genuinely adorable and sad and crying. And she really wants to tell she actually is pregnant. Yeah. That's not a dream. That's That bit's not the dream. And she's gone to tell Jeff. And Jeff gets this amazing speech that's really beautiful. The score is perfect. One of the quotes being, I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. And it goes on into this really beautiful... I Only Jeff, in this scenario, could have given an emotional performance in that much prosthesis. Yeah, like I was going to say, he's under so much... Yeah, I was going to say makeup, but it's not even makeup. He's under so much stuff. Yeah, prosthetics, you know, makeup, big lumps of latex, goo, whatever. Yeah, but he's really emoting. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's very beautiful sad. because she wants to go and tell Seth, her lover, right? Yeah, but what Brundlefly is telling her with his speech here mm. is like that's not. He doesn't exist anymore. Flies don't have politics. Yeah. And I want to be the first fly politician, the first insect politician. Yeah. Oh, it's also chilling and horrible. It feels straight out of a proper old school Frank Miller graphic novel oh. thing to me. Very dark, very dark commentary on things. Very sinister way of viewing life and man and beast. Mm. But then, of course... He overhears again. Staff is actually being reasonable in real life here, <laughs> where he's saying, "Are you sure you don't want to wait a few days?" She's like, "I want this thing out of me, basically, because it might be a maggot." <laughs> yeah, you know, I have no idea what this thing is. I don't know when it was conceived. So, and Staff is like, "Well, I know a guy, but it is like midnight." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because yeah, my assumption is that she went there to tell him about the baby, but just couldn't. She went there to tell Seth. She says that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I couldn't remember whether it's made explicit or not. Yeah, when she's um, crying with um, Stathis on by the car, oh, it's yeah. like, what does he say? I couldn't tell him. I couldn't tell him because he's not him, basically. Yeah. She then gets kind of snatched 
King Kong style. Yeah, I've got a note on King Kong. It's yeah. very King Kong. There's more than a little bit of Frankenstein to it as well. Yeah, definitely. Of the, well, the, you know, the monster. Dathis manages to find her a doctor who will do an emergency abortion yeah, <laughs> at like 1am. Yeah, who is really rude and asks horrendous questions, yes. by the way. Uh, yeah. I guess American healthcare is different. Mind yeah. you, midnight abortions. I mean, it, it. yes, he is rude and it is irregular. Like, I guess. I guess he's like, you know, you needed a debauch. You needed an emergency one right now. Yeah. <laughs> like right now, it couldn't have waited until even the morning. You know. <laughs> no. <laughs> the idea of her not wanting it in her body is is horrible, and it's very Cronen. It feels very Cronenberg with a big, you know, Cronenbergian or it something. It does. I also get heavy alien vibes. Yeah. Uh, very or alien aliens. Oh, which came out very close in time to yeah, this, I think, because we're sort of summer 86. So Well, we must also be near Species, or is Species 90s? I think Species is 90s. We have this awful bit from Seth where he uses the line, please don't kill me. You know, there's that might be the last bit of me left alive, yeah. talking about her baby. Please don't kill me, which is so manipulative that it actually got the rage out of me. Like, I fully went to fly into one and then sort of <laughs> swallowed it down. I also noticed that Joss Whedon writes a lot of Stathis-style men, oh. which was a really interesting idea. This kind of older man... I feel like, obviously, to a point, looking back now, it's probably autobiographical, where it's these men who are flawed, but they have a hero streak under the floor, and... They want to be good, but their desires frequently yeah. outshine their goodness. And they're usually a douche, you know, <laughs> in some form. Well, your point on honesty is a really interesting one, about mm-hmm. because Stathis is honest all the way through. Yeah. He's creepy and horrible, yeah. and and you know, but he doesn't. He doesn't sneak. Like, he's very open about what he wants. True. Well, I assume it's... I mean, although Gaston is a liar, I assume it's a little bit Beauty and the Beast as well, where the beast, the true beast is the man. Sure. The... To, to begin with, the true beast is Stathis in his most, like, this is just how I am and what I want and mm-hmm. what kind of a woman wants to read. <laughs> uh, but as Seth becomes more beast than man he steadily takes over as the true beast. It's kind of a reversal of it, where mm-hmm. she was in love with the one that wasn't beautiful, but was perfect for her. Yeah. And then we watch this transformation, and she's like, oh, maybe it is the lesser of two <laughs> evils, is this absolute honesty-driven honesty douchebag. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've, my note is that they've been, she's been fought over by two revolting men. <laughs> like, one literally yes. re- and one... One figuratively. What I've yeah. also put is Stathis Quincy from Dracula. <laughs> He's a bit paws on. Yeah. He's Even very not Quincy. On. What about. Sorry? He's very paws on at times, isn't he? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the doctor that works in the asylum? Uh, Dr. Saywood. Dr. Saywood, that's the one. Uh, so clever, older. Grabby. <laughs> <laughs> but actually ends up being a big help. And bra- brave. Yeah. And yeah. and has an ulterior motive, but is pretty open about it. So I really felt like there was there's it's a love letter to a lot of different horror films. I think as well because it's based in that fifties sixties yes. beauty of horror era. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, this yeah you mentioned King Kong for yes. this. Yeah, when um, when the monster claims the bride. 
I suppose, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I've put abducted by the monster, literally yeah. those words. The whole scene where Jeff is begging for the life of his unborn child has a score very much like Holst's Planets. Right. That feels really huge and expansive, like more so than any other part of the film. That, to me, ain't a romantic moment. <laughs> but I see the the wanting to perf- to continue life as this romantic idea. Sure, and I guess it depends of like where, of what in Brundle's divided soul is speaking here. You yeah. know, is this the voice of her lover really? No. Sort of coming through <laughs> from the past. This yeah. is the, I'm not. You know, this is the question. Yes. Like, is this the voice of Seth Brundle, the old Seth Brundle that she wanted to tell about her pregnancy? you know coming through this monster or is it the horrible brundlefly creature that is perpetuating existence exactly mm. guaranteeing survival and i think it's one of the film's strengths is that we don't get yeah. a definitive answer to this question yeah i think so too bless him stathis <laughs> is here looking hot he's got a gun <laughs> that's not the hot bit but he's also got a gun and it turns out that that saliva, that corrosive saliva stuff really is corrosive. And mm. Seth starts to sick up on on a mortified Stathis. Yep. The effect that they do where the hand kind of melts under the corrosion. Do you know how they did that? Because I do. wonderful. Not in detail. I'm assuming, and mm. tell me how I do, that it's wax or something. It feels like something Close. melting like... Because his hand melts away. Yeah. And it's the same guy that did... It's uh, it's Chris Wallace is the effects guy, and he did yeah. the, face uh, melt. the face melt in Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I'm fairly sure that was like hot air on a wax thing that was then sped up. How close? How am I doing? Very close, yes. So they had the dodgy hand, the one that's twisted and deformed and broken and Oh, the melted. sort of horrible stump yeah. thing. They had a gelatin hand, that they're like a perfect hand that they had yeah. over it, and then the hot lights, hair dryers, and filming at a low speed, and then it will. Oh, when you play it back normal speed, yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. So clever. Gelatin. Disgusting. Oh, so yeah, so it'll melt at a low, because yeah, I I I had wax, but that to melt that you'll need more heat, whereas yes. the gelatin will go. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, they had hair dryers on it and lights. Yeah. And it was just while the cameras were filming and the lights were on. Yeah. You would already get that kind of vague wobble, if you like, the kind of vague mm. liquefied thick blur. Yeah, it's really gross. Yeah. <laughs> so really disgusting, really horrendous. We go for the ankles as well. Ooh, he's just yeah. making his way through. Ugh. And bless him, Stathis just has to sit there being in shock for most of the rest of the time. Yes. He's, he's had a go at shooting when it didn't go well. Yeah, so. it didn't, yeah, yeah. And again, you know, because he comes in, all yeah. hero, he's tooled up in it, and then he's fairly well immediately sort of... In shock. In yeah. shock and, and mutilated. Yeah, horribly. Yeah. With no... There's something really nasty about it. You know, like you see in horror films, in my opinion, more than you should, limbs being chopped off quite cleanly. Mm-hmm. There's something really, really extra nasty about a limb being melted how you can't have that reattached no there's not even the vaguest chance and for your human brain there is no way that that can be fused back on there it doesn't exist anymore it's kind of too much for the brain to handle i, I worry about these 
prosthetic people. There's something really horrible about the duplication as well. That they do it to the hand, which is oh, horrible. Oh, so much worse. Uh, yeah. But then it's like, well, let's let's sort of melt off a foot as well, you yeah. know. And until Veronica shows up. He would have just digested that whole body. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's all, all the indications are that he's going to keep doing it until there's very little left. He's also clearly actually torturing him. There are mm. a couple of moments where he's smiling before he does it, where there is a knowledge still of, I have purpose to this pain yeah. that I'm causing. Interestingly, to get the vomit effect to look right, I noticed that they had a couple of prosthetics that were not actually Jeff. They were just like a puppet that was spewing the liquid because right. it's a lot to hold in your mouth and it's yeah, really, from course. the angle they had it at, you couldn't do the old tube trick. So, um, you know, tube up the side of the yeah. face thing. So it made sense. Yeah, don't throw pregnant people around. There's a lot of throwing running around. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You know. But I mean, he's not um, yeah, Brundlefly is not thinking terribly clearly at this point. What, he's lost his jaw? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really horrible as well. Yeah. Loses his jaw, loses his knees. He's just a crinkly, crunchy bug mess. You know, his plan, such uh-huh. as it is here, is to splice his decaying human fly DNA with that of... His unborn child and Ronnie. And Ronnie, you know, because he wants more human back uh-huh. in the mix. Which... I've, I've again got a note on like Frankenstein idea like of creating life through science. Yeah. Weirdly, particularly thinking of uh, Bride of Frankenstein, the uh, 30s horror film where um, Victor Frankenstein is persuaded to create another one by <laughs> Dr. Pretorius, who turns up and says, you know, we can create life together and stuff. And it's like, Mrs. Frankenstein is right there. If you want to create life, there's a very easy way to yeah. do it. But, you know, there's something about this. This sort of bad Promethean idea of playing God and things, yes. and it's also like a grotesque parody of romantic family ideas of like we'll be together, uh, you, me, and the baby will be together as one being as a sort of ultimate synthesis of our relationship, which is really unpleasant. <laughs> I mean, there are many, many things that are really unpleasant. Let's, yeah. let's be real. Obviously, he's become warped and his jealousy warped him. He was jealous when he went in. And I think that jealousy gets exacerbated by the teleportation almost as mm-hmm. well. Like, it, But I'm curious to know why he didn't just find a homeless person or someone randomly walking on the streets to splice with. I think you're right. Yeah. I think there's an element of it being family. But I wonder if it's just such a possessive drive that we need to just own her. You know, anyway. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's, there's, that is there as well. Soundproofing. Oh yeah. Jeff throws pregnant Gina into the telepod, slams the door shut, locks it up, and we've got bless him, Stathis, desperately trying to get hold of that gun. Yeah, but he has only got harder. one hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're soundproofed on the inside, so when you're watching from the outside, you've got a panicking Ronnie. Mm. They're really beautifully done with with zero sound. It's a really weird choice to make the scumbag the hero, but it's a really interesting one. One thing leads to another, and we have a brundle fly pod by the end of it. Yes. <laughs> the telepod yeah. manages to... I mean, why it's not the whole room, I don't know, etc. Well, what I thought was interesting is that the reason you end up with... The, well, you end up with the telepod because Stathis gets to the gun, mm-hmm. and it's a shotgun, so he's got... What, one shot, two shots? Two shots, he puts two, two shots. bullets in it, yeah. He's got two shots. and But instead of like trying to take out the Brundlefly yeah. creature or something, he he goes for the cables connecting 
Yes. Veronica's pod. This is another part of his redemption, I suppose. He's saving her. Yeah, or saving her body. Saving her body. Well, yeah, you could look at it like that. Well, because if <laughs> she bonded with Jeff That's true. You and wouldn't, Baby, wouldn't get he it wouldn't back. get wouldn't the get... body he was wanting. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it makes the Brundle fly pod, which is a mixture between Brundle, the fly... And yeah. a telepod. Yes. So it crawls out of the machine as computers this kind are stupid. of. They don't know. You know, the computer doesn't know that that's not what it wants. That's no, not what he wants. No. And it's just this kind of metal haunted meat slug. Yeah. That <laughs> puts the because uh, obviously Gina's got the shotgun by this point. She's out of her pod, and yeah. she's freaking out and this weird blob creature puts the gun to its head in a really intense moment of like kill me it's interesting one of her main lines is i'm i'm afraid i'm frightened i can't i'm too scared yeah and she does do it anyway because he's a horrible nightmare person that needs to be shot yeah but not even person he's a horrible nightmare creature that needs to be shot. well that's one of the questions that i have right is was the creature's desire to die an animal in pain or is it the last sort of vestiges of seth I assume that Brundle. was the very last of Seth. Yeah. I did, because the insect's drive is to survive. Sure. Uh, throughout, including, please don't kill me. And also his whole speech about the insects don't have politics thing yeah. is, my only drive is to be sure. and to kill and to to hurt and not have any thought about it. <laughs> so, yes, I do think that that was the last. It's a very human action as well to know what a gun does and to put it into place I don't even think like it's weird but I don't feel like he's in like pain I just feel like he can't focus on existing he's just plays a horrible horrible human human fly machine hybrid mess it's really grim yeah anyway it's a great bit of puppetry actually (laughs) Um, yeah that's what I put next level puppetry it's entirely puppet by this point if that makes sense yeah Yes, the the final transformation into this thing, and I did read that they were intent that the the final form, if yeah. you'd like, wasn't going to be just a fly, because it wasn't yes. that he was turning into a fly; he was turning into a, a half human fly yeah. thing. And so there's other even in this form, yeah. there are elements of a sort of human form in the fly. It isn't just that he's become a fly. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Peter Albrecht for extreme special effects. As we said, Terry Burke doing all the Foley stuff. Chris Wallace, great job, mate, of putting big letters. I should say as well, it was produced by Mel Brooks, no? Yes, it was. Yeah, he put yeah. up he put up a lot of money to have it made. And also the sort of pivotal line that we've missed out, that uh, be afraid, be very afraid, actually oh, yes, comes from said. this film. But it was Mel Brooks's idea to put it in there, which is quite fascinating. Oh, he's very good. Yes. But yeah, I had no idea that Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid no. originated here. I think I said it must predate this, but I looked at... Did you look it up? Yeah. Tonight? Yeah, we both looked it up. Everything points to it coming from, from Mel Brooks. Weirdly, <laughs> I've been saying it for absolutely years. Like I remember being a tiny child and making someone like laugh till they nearly weed, <laughs> saying Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid wow. a particular way. Very strange. I wouldn't... Obviously, I... I mean, I may have watched Candyman too young, but I was a long way off <laughs> The Fly. I think oh. I watched The Fly for the first time about four years ago, three years ago. Yeah, fair enough, I suppose. On my your, birthday, Your actually. 20s is, is just about old enough to see The Fly. Yeah, and I was very sad on my birthday, and I thought, you know what will cheer me up? Jeff Goldblum. 
I suppose you haven't seen it before. Yep. Mel Brooks, of course, best known for things like Blazing Saddles and yeah. comedy. But he had made The Elephant Man, or he had produced Again, The I get Elephant heavy Man vibes a few of, years earlier. Yeah, I get heavy Elephant Man vibes from this film as well. Yeah. In um, places. The the giving a human um, aspect to a beast yeah, is a big course. one. And yeah, he put the money up when nobody else would, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So it is. he's an under sung figure in yeah in the in the careers of a few people i suppose you know goldblum of course went on strength to strength cronenberg had some you know he'd had some successes before this goodness me don't don't get me wrong no but it really raised something i think this was the one that that made you go oh that's his style yeah yeah but yeah it nearly it nearly wasn't of course, um, yeah. Rumors of it, rumors of it being Tim Burton first, which would have been very different. There's a bit of, interestingly, there's a tiny little bit of tech that is nearly a Tim Burtony look, but it's minuscule. No, oh. mm. I hadn't thought of it. I, um, yeah, I mean, well, I suppose not that he couldn't have done it, but just that I feel like his career would have been very different if. Like Tim Burton's career would have been very different if he'd made uh, the, the Fly, but I just don't think he would have made a film like this. No, and I would have loved to see the Fly as claymation. Yeah, <laughs> as a Tim Burton animation. Yeah, it'd be beautiful, but yeah. not this film at no. all. And we'll probably involve more music. <laughs> yeah, more Danny Elfman, more <laughs> whimsical Fly. But numbers. yes, it's, it's, it's not. There's nothing whimsical about this. It's extremely no. like hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or whatever yeah. the opposite of whimsical is. Cronenberg was attached to Total Recall. Yes. Uh, he worked for a long time on that before he just couldn't get it. He couldn't get a script that he liked. And he became available when the director who was assigned to this and they was signed up and everything. Yeah. He was a man called Beerman. And he was all signed up and everything. And then he, was, he had a terrible tragedy. I think his daughter died in an accident. Yikes. When he was weeks away from from shooting oh, so and it just happened that they they gave him a few weeks to decide what to do it and mm. and Beerman said that he couldn't you know he said I can't make the film you know I yeah. have to drop out I just can't do it family was in South Africa I think so and the film was made in, in North America ended up being filmed in Canada and it and it just so happened that Cronenberg came free from the project that he was tied up in at yep. the same time you know it was just a, a a series of almost accidents that that led to it. So weird. Um, led to it being made in the first place. Right, I think that's us, don't you? Yes. Wonderful. Do you want to do outros? Certainly, yes. Thank you so much for listening. I do recommend this film if you have, if you've made it through to this part of us talking Spoilers. about it, haven't been put off by everything we said. Like it is horrible. Yeah. But it, it's it's a wonderful piece of work. It really stands up and it is worth your time. Let us know what you think about it. If you've seen it, drop us an email. We're at hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We're also on the socials. We are on Twitter. We're at HPPpod. And we are on the Instagram at haunted underscore picture underscore palace. Brand consistency is for losers. Be damned. Indeed. Next week... We are going to be covering Monster House. That's a really interesting animation from 2006 that if you haven't seen, go watch it. Reserve your judgment 
until right at the very end because it's a really it's an interesting thing there are a few reasons that i wanted to cover it but you'll see <laughs> smashing do yeah. you know where people can watch that that is available at the moment on netflix actually and i think i want to say it's also on amazon prime Splendid. I might just be lying. We'll, I mean, we, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. announce on the usual channels. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it'll, yeah, probably a little bit of a change of pace after the last couple of weeks. I think we could do with something less gory, but more, yes, but more fun. <laughs> I'd sign. I'll sign up for that. Absolutely. All right. Yes. So, goodbye, everyone. Don't have nightmares. Oh, bye. Oh, bye. Bye. Oh, bye. Oh. Oh, bye. If she just rips off her underwear. Well, that doesn't work because stock is her underwear too. It, you keep undercrackers if you want, old man Critchley. You go for it. <laughs> no. Yeah, go on. The whole class is watching you now. Undercrackers. Undercrackers. It, um, if she just. Go on. Go on, <laughs> power through, because you're just going to have to do this in the edit later. Yeah, absolutely. If she just uh, takes off her underpants and hands them over straight away. That's not what we see, though, because it's Jeff and Jeff's well weird. So what we see is her kind of slow motion dismounting a man that does the same move, whether he's wearing leather trousers <laughs> or being stroked pre the rock or any of this not the rock you know what i mean pre <sighs> come on brain Being stroked no no sorry it's a meme not a real thing it's the <laughs> it's the meme of sam neil like, oh hugging uh, on his uh, chest his chest yeah it's not yeah. a real thing that really no, happened in a film sorry <laughs> it just happened in my imagination for hours